Death, Empathy, and War, Why You Should Enjoy Memorial Day. I know those seem like conflicting ideas, but I believe it's our duty to remember those lost in combat while living our lives to the fullest. Welcome to the 138 subscribers who have joined the Retained Learnings community over the last week. If you haven't subscribed, join the 460 growth-oriented young professionals on this journey by clicking subscribe at retainedlearnings.io. This week's post is a little different in honor of the holiday. What's not different is that I hope you hit reply to let me know your thoughts or forward it to someone that you think would find it valuable. My understanding of Memorial Day changed forever in July 2016 when I learned about Major Sterling Norton's death. Sadly, it wasn't the first time I had lost a comrade in the military. We lose Marines to accidents, suicide, and combat far too often. But that day was different because of how a friend of mine empathized with Sterling's final moments. This Memorial Day, I wanted to take a moment to help you empathize with military veterans and Gold Star families around the country. I hope this post is dramatically different from anything else you'll listen to on Memorial Day, and I hope it adds value to the holiday for you in a few ways. Number one, by conveying the gravity of the day. Number two, I hope that this post helps you remember the people who have given their lives so that we can enjoy the freedom uh, and we to live up to the full measure of our potential. Number three, after reading this post, I hope you feel that you've done your patriotic duty of pausing to commemorate the day and that you can enjoy a much-deserved day off. I know that seems counterintuitive, but I believe there's no better way to honor the fallen than to live our lives with passion, purpose, and joy. Let's rewind to when I was a young lieutenant in the Marine Corps. Empathy. During the winter of 2014 to 2015, I deployed to Okinawa, Japan with my first infantry unit. I was 24 years old and a junior officer in the Marine Corps, trying to learn the ropes on my first overseas deployment. Each infantry battalion of about 650 Marines has about 20 lieutenants like me, young officers in charge of 40 to 50 people. In addition to the infantry lieutenants and captains, the battalion brings three pilots to help coordinate aircraft for the unit. These pilots are a little older. They've completed a longer training pipeline and several deployments before this point in their careers. They're not in our direct chain of command, so they aren't responsible for us. Being more experienced, but not in charge, puts these pilots in an interesting position. Without formal leadership responsibility, they can befriend officers from around the battalion. In general, pilots have a penchant for being goofy and fun-loving. Unlike an infantry battalion, which is a stoic and serious organization, squadrons of pilots are typically more laid-back, jovial, and fun. Our infantry battalion was assigned three air officers, and by luck of the draw, we had ended up with an unbelievable cadre of pilots. All three were incredibly high performers, and the lead air officer, Sterling Norton, was the most gifted among them. Sterling was in his early 30s and he flew F-18s. In the military, two aviation schools are universally coveted and respected. First, Top Gun is the premier air-to-air combat school, aircraft fighting against other aircraft. Only a few pilots are selected to attend Top Gun each year, so graduating from the course is a badge of honor. The second school of note is the Weapons and Tactics Instructor Course, WTI. WTI graduates learn advanced tactics for dropping bombs from aircraft to support the troops on the ground. This is the most relevant skill set a pilot can possess for infantry units like ours. WTI is equally selective, albeit less well-known, because Tom Cruise hasn't made a movie about it yet. 
Sterling Norton had graduated from both schools, a feat that reveals that he was both a talented officer and a committed professional. Sterling didn't need to take a leadership role as the air officer in our unit, but he took a natural interest in mentoring young officers. My fellow platoon commander, Connor, interacted with Sterling more frequently than I, since Connor's job placed him in a position to work with aircraft. Connor was impressed by our air officers and often brought them up in conversation over the deployment as a trusted source of guidance and mentorship. When we returned from deployment in 2015, many of us moved on to our subsequent assignments and our air officers returned to their aviation units. About a year after returning from Okinawa, Connor called me with some bad news. Sterling's aircraft had crashed during a training event in 29 Palms, California. Sterling was practicing a gun run in which his aircraft dives from elevation, fixes its nose at a position on the ground to use a machine gun, then pulls out of the dive to recover elevation. Rather than pulling out of the dive, the Marines who watched his attack saw him disappear behind a hill. Sterling never pulled out of the dive. After relaying the details of the accident as far as he knew them, Connor said something that I will never forget. Stranger was a fantastic pilot. He was a Top Gun and WTI graduate. In the moments before impact, he must have known that he was in trouble. I can't stop picturing his face the moment that he knew that he wouldn't be able to recover. The thought of Sterling's face the moment he knew he was in trouble is one I return to any time I hear about death. War. In 2016, I spent nearly the entire year in Iraq. My deployment to Iraq was dramatically different from the combat deployments we think of when we picture the war in Iraq. During the years following the 2003 invasion, American troops patrolled the streets of Iraqi cities to stabilize the country. Armed militants from Sunni and Shiite backgrounds fought one another in a centuries-old struggle that had been kept momentarily at bay by a barbaric authoritarian regime led by the despot Saddam Hussein. The soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines who patrolled Iraqi streets faced myriad threats to their lives, including explosive devices and coordinated ambushes. After a surge of troops in 2007 and 2008, the United States' presence in Iraq reduced dramatically. A weak central government in Iraq, combined with a bloody civil war in Syria, led to a power vacuum. This confluence of events gave rise to the insurgent group ISIS, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. I deployed to Iraq in 2016 as part of the American response to ISIS. Groups of advisors joined Iraqi forces in a fight to reclaim portions of Iraq from ISIS control. My deployment was dramatically different from the Iraq war experienced by troops who patrolled the streets of Iraq. By 2016, we had a limited number of soldiers on the ground. That armed patrols were neither practical nor valuable. Moreover, the military would have no way to evacuate wounded troops in our hostile area of operations. The surrounding cities and suburbs were still under ISIS control, and ISIS possessed high-quality anti-aircraft weapons. This threat would have rendered air casualty evacuation impossible. Instead, we supported the Iraqi army by coordinating with aircraft circling overhead and helping the Iraqis with our base artillery. During my nine months in Iraq, I witnessed horrific violence. As a member of the advisor team, I helped coordinate the release of hundreds of bombs targeting ISIS fighters. We watched the impacts of our work through video feeds collected by drones, an incredibly surreal experience as we casually inflicted tremendous human suffering from an air-conditioned building a few miles away. 
the American media has accurately captured ISIS's notoriously barbaric tactics, but none was more insidious during that time than the practice of booby-trapping houses to inflict violence on Iraqi troops and civilians returning to their homes. Booby-trapping people's homes is not a targeted, targeted at a military objective. It does not attempt to spare the innocent. Furthermore, it takes no responsibility for the ensuing chaos. It is done to inflict suffering on whoever is unlucky enough to come along. One resource we offered on our base was a field hospital. We had several trauma surgeons who provided life-saving medical care to Iraqi soldiers and civilians. These surgeons were emergency room doctors in their day-to-day -day lives, but as Army Reserve members, they deployed to austere environments for three-month stints to save lives in combat. The Iraqis would bring us their most challenging medical cases of both soldiers and non-combatants. We saw the effects of ISIS brutality on civilians in our area daily as casualties of these explosive devices were brought to us for help. Gunshot wounds and explosives do horrific things to the human body, and they do not distinguish between the soldier and civilian. Men, women, and worst of all, children are victims of these weapons and war violence. The mental image I had created of Sterling's face in the moments before his death were confirmed by witnessing these casualties' faces. This experience forever disabused me of any childish notions I had about war. Survivor's guilt. My combat deployment was dramatically less dangerous and horrific than that endured by almost any armed forces member who served in Iraq between 2003 and 2011. There were periods of, of danger that I endured alongside my comrades. ISIS would shoot rockets at our position with relative frequency, and they managed to hit our base on a few occasions. On these occasions, our hearts would race with adrenaline as sirens blared that rockets and mortars were in the air headed to our position. We wondered whether these bombs, where they were in their trajectory during these moments, whether they would land on top of us or harmlessly in the distance. There was nothing to do apart from putting your gear on and hunkering down or sprinting for a concrete structure nearby with no way of knowing where these deadly rockets would impact. During my deployment, I never dealt with the trauma of burying a comrade, evacuating one of my subordinates, or wondering if an improvised explosive device would blow me up. Many among the 3 million veterans who deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan over the war had dramatically more traumatic experiences than I did. Nonetheless, this experience had a dramatic impact on me. For those who endured more traumatic experiences, the impact is even more dramatic. Many of the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines who deployed in the wars buried comrades. In war, death is arbitrary and commonplace. Just as I would wonder if a rocket headed to our position was intended for me or would land harmlessly outside of our position, thousands of veterans have at one point wondered whether their next step would be their last. Those who survive combat and return home are left to wonder, why did I live? Why did I get lucky when a friend perished? What if I had stepped on that explosive device instead of a friend? Survivor's guilt is a psychological phenomenon that develops among those who have lived through dangerous and traumatic experiences. We wonder if we could have done more in a situation to help others. Survivor's guilt colors the way people see the world, lingers in the background of the daily grind and comes to mind when you least expect it. For the 3 million Americans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, this is the cultural context of Memorial Day. 
Before concluding this post, I want to call attention to one other group of people who bear the brunt of Memorial Day, Gold Star families. During World War I, families with a member deployed overseas would display blue stars on flags in their windows. In the unfortunate circumstance that a family member was killed in action, that star would be exchanged with a gold star, giving rise to the term. Although veterans around the country think of their fallen comrades during Memorial Day, Gold Star families think of their lost loved ones every day. Over the last year, I have had an opportunity to learn from these families as we delivered paintings to them through my startup's efforts to commemorate fallen service members. These families deal with the grief of loss daily, which makes me wonder, how do they recognize Memorial Day? I reached out to a few families to find out and the answers typically involved solemn reflection in a meaningful place. The pain of grief in these families' hearts is tremendous, and I'm always shocked by their strength and tenacity. To be able to talk to a Gold Star family about their loved ones is a privilege. Many of them embrace their role as caretakers of their lost loved one's legacy. When speaking with Gold Star families, the most common belief I come across is that their loved one's sacrifice was be on behalf of something greater than themselves, a gift willingly given to preserving the American way of life. For this reason, I wholeheartedly hope that you can enjoy the gift that we've received from those who have sacrificed on our behalf. You should strive to enjoy Memorial Day. This post was challenging to write and to read. I hope that it caused you to stand still and consider lives lived and lost too young. I hope parts of it reverberated in your mind and spirit and that it stirred empathy and compassion in you. Now that you've had a moment to reflect on the nature of the holiday, I hope you can go about your Memorial Day enjoying a well-deserved break from the stressors of your life. As I write and read this, I am 32 years old. Over the last decade, I've lost many juvenile beliefs. Developing empathy for the dead and witnessing violence close up has left me with a severe disdain for war. Over that time, I've also seen that our country has much work left to do to live up to our highest ideals. Nonetheless, the hair on my neck stands up when I hear the national anthem. I'm a patriot. America is my home, and despite her flaws, I am an ardent believer in her ability to make progress, learn, and become a better version of herself. So this Memorial Day, I hope you're able to simultaneously pay your respects to those who have perished to gift us our freedom and our homes while taking the time you need to recharge to continue making your contributions to our great country. Best, Brendan.